This is Canary in a Coal Mine, a Yellowbird podcast. The show about underrated, sometimes peculiar, but mostly well-meaning ways we keep safe in a risky world. Hello and welcome back to Canary in a Coal Mine. I'm your host, Michael Zhao with Yellowbird. Today, we're talking with Brandon Neal, the founder and president of Salute Safety. Salute Safety is a member of Yellowbird's Canary Club. Thank you for joining us, Brandon. Where are you joining us from? I actually grew up in Maine, which is kind of the opposite corner of the country from certainly where you guys are. Yep. Um, and uh, went to university in, in New York and then uh, went kind of right into consulting. Um, and this is like, you know, right as the financial crisis was happening. And it's kind of funny where and it's kind of happening again right now where sure. we're supposed to start a, July, a job in July and all of them got pushed back like six, seven months because there's sort of financial pressures. And interestingly, it's happening and it's kind of funny where and it's kind of happening again right now where sure. we're supposed to start a job in July and all of them got pushed back like six, seven months because there's sort of financial pressures. And interestingly, um, a lot of the big law firms and banks are all pushing start dates back right now. So just right. love that when you think about the, the macro mm-hmm. part of it. And then, yeah, I worked in consulting for uh, a while and then went to business school. And then after business school, joined a couple of my coworkers from the consulting firm I was with to start Fitzroy Health. Um, and so Fitzroy Health was a, a model really is going to work with health systems or innovative companies who are doing something that could be commercialized and sent, you know, released to the broader market. And one okay. of those areas that we uncovered was EHS in the sense that everyone has a safety program that they need to have in place for most operations. We saw pretty much everyone using pen, paper, and Excel to manage environmental health and safety. And so um, while Cornell Medicine, who's a big university here in New York City, um, Mm -hmm. they had built their own internal system that others were actually asking them to use. And they're like, well, we can't just let you use our system. So I worked with the, the CFO and sort of the EHS director there at the time to spin it out, turn it to a sort of commercial brand cloud solution um, that ultimately uh, became Salute. So I certainly did not start my career in compliance uh, or EHS, um, but what I what I did learn about it was that it was you know unlike accounting or sales that have you know have have some pretty serious technologies out there um, like you know, HubSpot or. Quick, QuickBooks and NetSuite. Sure. Yes, it's just not gotten the same love from the technology community. And so we really see Salute as sort of uh, the next step in, in technology that will modernize a lot of NHS workflows. Love it. Love it. You know what? I agree with you wholeheartedly. And, um, you know, as is often the case, it sounds like you saw an opportunity and uh, and figured out a way to commercialize it to to create a market rather than just compete in a market that everybody else is competing in. So that's really, really cool. What surprised you the most about the, you know, when you got into creating Salute and developing this technology, what surprised you the most about, uh, you know, the findings as you were trying to find product market fit and how the software and how it's all working? I'm just curious, any aha moments? Um, I think one of the most of the aha moments have kind of come um, sort of looking back, to be honest. And when I think of things like um, when we first built, you know, let's call it V1 or the MVP yeah. of Salute, you know, we we took a lot of time to do that. We, you know, really tried to, in a, you know, almost in a black box, just build a product that would then be ready for market. And I think we would have, in hindsight, we should have gotten something out in front of our customers as quickly as possible and iterated from there. Now, right. EHS 
safety. It's not necessarily built for iteration, right? It's like you got to get it right the first time. So it's a little, <laughs> yeah. it's a little different than yeah. like you know a social media app or something like that, where the wiggle room is, is quite high. Right. Um, but I, I would say that the number one um, constituent that has been an educator uh, of our business has been our customers in terms of them informing what does good look like? What do they need? What problems can we solve for them? So it's all of the the product development that we do now certainly is, you know, 98% driven by uh, either our current or future customers to make sure that we're solving problems for them, not just solving problems, you know, uh, in a dark room where we think we're going to, you know, change the world. So I think it's it, the biggest thing is get out there, talk to the customers, tap, right. you know, make sure they we're dialed in on, on what they need and, and, and how you can help them. So from that perspective, you know, as you started rolling out, were you focused on a specific market that you felt was uh, a big target? I mean, obviously EHS, you and I both come to realize, I'm sure I won't speak for you, but I'm always surprised by the amount of micro verticals inside the macro EHS you know, I always say that environmental health and safety somehow pulls in quality. Now it's doing ESG. Sometimes it's pulling in, you know, uh, OSHA and EPA programs that are not traditional health and safety. So at what, where are you focused? Like, where did you start as your, you know, your beachhead client base? So our beachhead is really in the academic and research and medical space, right? So while Cornell is an academic research institution, um, some of the workflows that they have are relatively specific. Like we have an entire radiation safety module that like not, like most manufacturers don't need that, right? Because right. they're not doing, they don't have a license to use that type of material where I, as many biotechs and others do have that kind of thing. So because of our origin story, we really were initially focused on the biotech um, and the research space. The good thing for us has been that the bar for good and compliance in that industry was extremely high. You're dealing yeah. with patient safety stuff. You're dealing with employees that are, you know, exposed to, you know, biological, radiological and chemical agents in a way that mm -hmm. most are not. So right. having built a platform that is able to handle those types of situations, as we've grown and expanded into manufacturing or hospitality and other areas, um, our, our platform has served us well because we started in a really hard place. Now, yes, that means it took us a lot longer to sort of get to good, um, but now certainly that we're there, uh, we're able to use the platform uh, across sort of different verticals. Fascinating. You know, it's funny because we have, uh, on you know, on the Over platform, we'll have radiation specialists and nuclear specialists and folks who can do tier one and tier two reporting for EPA and um, all that kind of stuff. And as we look into this, we have, we've commented that there isn't a software that we've found that addresses the super, uh, um, regulated and highly, uh, critical pieces of EHS in these verticals. You know, you tend to get into industry verticals such as a nuclear, uh, reactor, or if you're in power generation. So it's a, that's fascinating. So what do you do from a remediation perspective? I mean, does your software give suggestions on remediation, like either state or local government re uh, recommendations or even just policy recommendations? 
the yes and no, we have a lot of templates that um, are based on local regulations that can be used within our platform. So for example, if someone's out in the field, they identify an issue, whether that's an ad hoc issue or they're doing some sort of inspection or audit, right? have a default, hey, here's what you should do. Here's the issue. Here's the corrective actions that need to be taken. Here's how long you need to fix it. Got it. You got a lot of that. Many of our clients take that really just as a starting point though and go beyond. So while we will tie that to whether it's a EPA, a OSHA, a joint right. mission regulation, whatever regulatory regime under which you serve, uh, they will go to the next step and then figure out oftentimes uh, where to go from there to, to get to the next level. We are not um, a service provider in the sense that uh, we don't do any inspections ourselves. We right. are enablers of our client. Um, we have some partnerships with service providers. So, mm -hmm. for example, they will either use the loop to actually go out, do the work, generate reports from our system to share with their clients. Yep. Um, so, uh, but well, that's that. That's why you're on this podcast because we're actually Yellowbird. You're using Yellowbird network of of pros for this purpose. So that's how we ended up on, you know, getting to know each other. Is I think we're actually. Yeah doing programs um, with you all, which is exciting. Um, so from that perspective, you've started in healthcare and sciences and kind of the educational environment. You've gone into hospitality and manufacturing and other spaces. Are there areas that are specifically gaining traction that you're excited uh, about? Um, for sure. I think for us, the biggest one is uh, the life sciences space. Um, yep. So think about this as uh, and not necessarily big pharma, you know, the Pfizer's of the world, um, right. the Genentech, but smaller um, startups who are saying, hey, we're working on a molecule. Um, they have, they're, they're doing very complex stuff. They're actually doing a lot of the same stuff that big research organizations are doing, but they're doing it with a team of five and none of those people have a background in safety, right? And so right. for us, we most, I would say 50% of our client growth this year is actually come in that space because they're saying, hey, we can use Salute as kind of like a safety in a box. You know, here's what we need to do. We'll check them. You know, it, it just really provides them a ton of scale and leverage because um, they, you know, compliance isn't always something that people want to focus on, let's be honest, right? It's something that they want to, you know, check the box, move on, and this is not where they want to, you know, spend their late Fridays. So they're really thinking about it as, hey, can we have a backbone of compliance that Salute um, can provide them and then uh, just in that, interact with it in a way that's as efficient as possible? No, it's, a, it's such an interesting thing because the SaaS offerings that are coming out now that help people empower folks to really become more resilient and have a structure around resiliency, and I know that's one of your missions, um, and focusing on the resiliency models, which I want to talk to you about in a second. It's interesting because we're doing a ton of things, you know, using your software, but also using um, the Yellowbird professionals to do broad assessments to let people get a benchmark. And I think it's fascinating to me how this nobody has been able to execute all hands benchmarking with knowledgeable workers. Because you either have somebody who's very knowledgeable, who's on an airplane all the time and not going to be able to actually execute, or you have somebody who um, is less knowledgeable and is going to lean on the software to tell them what they need to know. And and I think the reality is that if you get the combination of, of Salute and you know the Elber Network, it's a pretty powerful thing. I mean, I know that you guys are a Canary Club partner, 
And so that's a that's really exciting too. That I, I'm really thrilled to, to hear that. Along those lines, you know, so on the resiliency side, you know, I I know I read your I read your bio and organizational um, resiliency is a is a thing that you're very focused on as a company. How do you define it? Like I mean, I, you know, I when they told me that I'm like organizational resiliency. I actually had to stop and ponder for a moment of what that actually meant. So how are you defining organizational resiliency as it pertains to uh, Salute? Yeah. So when I think of organizational resiliency, it's really about a, an evaluation of all the different risks that any organization faces and how can you put in structures, technologies, programs in place to be able to weather a variation of circumstances that may arise, right? So for example, when you think about the EHS space in particular, organizational resiliency can be making sure that if you are you are covered for sentinel events via insurance products so that you aren't going out of business if something terrible happens. And right. it's making sure that from a process perspective, that if you have things like government permits that need to be renewed, they're not all being done by the same person who's the only person in the organization who knows how that's done. We had a client recently come to us and say, we don't actually know how all of these permits are being done. And it took us a month. That's extremely costly. It's really about creating those structures where it doesn't matter what happens, the process is in place to weather that storm. And it's, it's important for us for a few reasons. One, because organizations really are made up of people. Writing the day, and so you want to that is you're someone you know you sit in the studio chair, you understand. Most of the CEOs I talk to, like their number one concern is the people that work for them, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Can that business continue and function and provide people livelihood and do all these types of things? So making sure that you create that resiliency and going forward, particularly with some of our clients that are on the smaller scale, it's really important to think about the entire risk profile of your organization. And hedge against it in a way that you know, if one person on a ten-person team leaves, that's very different than if one person on a five hundred-person team leaves, right? It's just a very exactly. dynamic. And so, one of our clients, it's not just about hey, what inspection are we doing? You know, what's the uh, what incident report is this person gathering? It's can we document things in a way that creates scale and creates resiliency depending on sort of whatever situation can arise. I completely agree with you. I mean, it sounds as though you are looking at this market the same way we do, which is proactively. You're looking for a proactive stance. You're looking to anticipate risk. You're looking to develop, you know, contingency plans for folks and what happens if Jerry gets hit by a bus, heaven forbid, you know, but that does like that is the the blocking and tackling piece of business. And especially, and I do want to talk about your journey and we don't, sounds like we could talk all day, which I enjoy. Um, but you know, going, going down your journey, like where, where are you in your, uh, development? You know, I said, you, you said it took you a while. Um, you know, we just passed our fourth year. We've got 36 employees. Um, and with less, I think we've got 33 employees right now, but we have 36 by the end of the year. And, um, you know, we did venture capital. So we actually did raise, um, formal institutional capital to, to grow. What did, what was your journey like? What did it look like for you? Um, from a business perspective, um, we initially were backed by both Wild Cornell 
um, and Fitzroy Health to kind of get the product up and running. Okay. Um, we have been very cautious about raising capital in for a lot of reasons. Um, mm-hmm. As you know, you take on capital, you know, it comes with, you know, strings and, and you know, responsibilities and expectations. And responsibilities and expectations. And you just want to make sure that whatever capital you do find is, you know, has the same philosophy or timeline um, that you do. Um, and so for the first, you know, we were founded in 2017. For the first four years, we were effectively self-funded through client growth. So we were a very lean team. Um, yeah. It was basically me and some developers. And then beyond that, um, as we gained clients, we added employees and scaled. And then back in December 2021, we raised some outside capital um, um, yep. from some from one institution and a few uh, high net worth individuals uh, mm-hmm. kind of believed in what we were doing. And so, uh, but again, it was, it took us a long time to find the right partner there to make sure that they understand that, you know, EHS is not an industry that is going to be transformed overnight, right? This is not, uh, right. there's not many EHS unicorns out there. Let's be honest. And so this is a situation where yeah. we want to, again, if you bring that back to resilience, we want to build a, a company that is resilient in itself and is going to grow. It's going to meet the expectations, but also um, just be practical with the industry that we're in and the technology um, that we're the kind of change because as you mentioned what we are often not necessarily going and competing with another product we're competing with antiquated processes we are creating a sale rather than just going and being a part of a sales process and that's you know as matt who's our head of business development can certainly attest to it's hard it's a challenging situation and so we were sort of careful and thoughtful and made sure that we had the right capital partners uh, around the table which we're sort of fortunate um to have now um and you know we've you know with that we've scaled and we've grown and we've been able to this year we will doubled uh, our number of customers and so we're we're super excited about that and we're hoping that that growth rate will uh, will continue and I think um, industries will come and you know come and go in terms of the, their priority to us um, sure. healthcare which has been uh, a traditional strength of ours that industry is facing a lot of headwinds from margins and reimbursements you know, some of the big healthcare institutions like Providence and all these, you know, they lost, they lost $2 billion last year. Right. So they're right. just yep. going around money for environmental health and safety solutions, but you know, the need is still there. So we, we have the kind of patient capital behind us that can kind of figure out what's the right approach um, yep. for various industries at various times. So you said modules earlier. So you're dealing, like you said, the Radbot dual for radiation and you've got, so do you tell me a little bit more about your solution um, from a, uh, you know, your go-to-market, I'm sure you have a core OSHA type of, you know, everybody needs to maintain a minimum standard of OSHA and EPA compliance, of course, but then right. you've got modules. How, do, how does that work? How does that work for uh, for a customer? Yeah, so we really have two types of customers. One, we call them all-in, where they just, they have access to our platform and they use yep. Everything from doing audits to, we actually have an entire learning management system where you can, you know, take our our courses or you can upload your own content or you can you know, have people report incidents and accidents and generate OSHA log directly from the platform, right? Um, mm-hmm. We have some of those customers. I'd say we have many more who are saying, hey, we have an acute need, for example, in training. So we want to get all our training together. Right now it's in PowerPoint. We'd rather sort of professionalize that and right. drive better compliance. Uh, that's a big piece. Safety data sheets and chemical safety is a big one, right? There's oh, yeah. very specific requirements around 
um, safety data sheets are in OSHA regulations and they're not just uh, the US and we also have clients internationally who can kind of effectively adopt similar standards uh, to the United <laughs> States. And so um, how does that work out? How does that well. work out for you? How do you feel about like, is it because obviously everything we've designed, everything you've designed has been based around US standard, of course, as, as is true with us. How how heavy of a lift was that to go into other countries? Um, I did, I've found that Canada and Mexico are, you know, our, uh, our hat and our shoes, uh, of the U S still is very, very different than the, uh, than the laws and regulations and guidelines of even, you know, of our traditions. So where, where are you in that? Is that difficult? Was it hard to do that? Um, not necessarily, and I think most of that is because the regulate the intent of the regulations um, is relatively similar uh, in a lot of these regimes, and then also the case, um, particularly in a place like Mexico, you know, we have a number of clients in the Middle East, mm -hmm. uh, and if you're looking at the Asian markets, oftentimes the regulatory standard by which companies are required to operate is actually lower than where companies are operating. Yeah. So they're thinking about using salute not because they want to just meet the bar of their local regulation, but they actually want to sort of be best practice and use that as a way to attract foreign investment, attract outside talent, and attract people who would want to work in in a company that's holding themselves to a higher standard. So I yeah. wouldn't say that our platform and we haven't necessarily spent a ton of time thinking about how can we customize thing to a specific ro local regulation? We right. have a customer success team who will help them think through that. Sure. Uh, we don't, um, we do not certainly certify that, you know, Hey, if you use this module, it's going to meet the local regulations. We have a partnership with a big law firm, um, that can do that work for you, um, mm -hmm. if need be, but it's, um, uh, you know, most of our clients internationally are pretty large and they kind of have their own. Uh, right. House team who's keeping track of all that stuff, so they're more taking their institutional knowledge and deploying it um, more effectively using a system like Salute. One of the things that I want to um, to ask you, just from a long term perspective, you know, you go ten years out. Obviously, you go back three years. You wouldn't have forecasted COVID having a major impact in your business. I imagine it did, uh, as it did with everybody, it had a major impact one way or the other. <laughs> you know, there's nobody who got got away from COVID having impact on their business. Um, it gave us tailwind, but for you, um, you know, I wanted to ask, I wanted to ask, you know, what your next 10 years is going to look like. Um, it's a great question. Uh, I both personally and professionally Typically plan uh, about 18 to 24 months out at yep. max, um, yep. almost by default. I think to your point, if you try to think in really long time horizons and try to, try to you know, necessarily set goals there, you can uh, focus on potentially the wrong things. But if I were to kind of do that, I think where we are really focused on um, is usage within our platform and automation. So, uh, not necessarily the use of AI, um, although that's something that we're doing um, to drive better insights, be able to automatically write the requirement. If the requirement, you're a CEO of a tech company. You, if you don't use AI in this discussion, I will be very offended. So, uh, good job, good job. You used it well. So, all right, thank you. Keep um, so, you know, I think that that will only increase. Um, and you know, we see ourselves really as an enabler of humans. And so, if we can think about 
the modules within our system, how can they continue to improve the workflow, improve the safety outcomes uh, of our clients? Um, I think that will primarily come from um, the continued automation uh, of workflows and integrations with uh, some third-party technologies. So we're already getting pushed uh, by one of our clients in particular to automatically integrate, for example, with a temperature control system that they have so that if yes. there's a, a temperature that reaches a certain threshold um, in um, a cryo tank, then it'll automatically trigger not only their existing system, but it will start basically an incident report within our system so they can conduct sort of a full secondary investigation beyond potentially what that vendor would require. So I think uh, a combination of mm -hmm. um, getting farther along in uh, our use of AI to improve automation as well as integrate with, you know, where people sort of flippantly call the internet of things uh, yes. where things are yes. dialed in and connected. Yep. That's probably where most of our um, development will come. Uh, again, if I, Smart. if we move as fast as we have over the last four years, you know, it, it won't be 10 years before we get there. It will be a lot sooner and sure. certainly, um, you know, one, one thing that's not going away is, is the need for safety. And so that's why we're, we're confident that even as we're making sort of more macro headwinds um, with interest rates, with the larger economy, um, you know, we, we're, we're confident that uh, we have found ourselves in a place where we'll continue to be able to be valuable to our clients. So it's interesting that you should say, and I'm going to get back onto our, um, onto our discussion for a second, then I'll wrap up. It's interesting you should say that you focus on automation and um, and specifically efficiency, which are our two principles here um, at Yellowbird as well, because I find it to be absolutely fascinating by the number of people who have three, four, five clients as a consultant, and they are extremely inefficient. Those consultants are flying all over the country. They are using Planes, trains, and automobiles are taking four to six months to do jobs that we can do in four to six days. And it's so interesting to me that the software is just finally catching up to the um, to the needs. And I'm, I'm so glad to hear you say that. So from an execution perspective, you're, you are... How are you selling? Like, how are you going to market? Are you going to the large clients directly and having them do that or are you going to folks like i know you're a canary club partner of yellowbirds and and we can use your software for our professionals to go out and do these assessments and do these surveys and do these quarterly or monthly or biannually or annual um, programs are you using third parties to sell right now or are you primarily going out directly to sell to direct customers so we have two channels that we primarily pursue one is a direct channel on uh, that matt and his sales team lead and that's where we're actually going to trade shows meeting with people emailing calling etc to channel you know, connect with the right people at the right uh, sort of bigger organizations or just what we would call direct clients the biotech sure. the medical institutions the universities the manufacturers the other channel we have is our partnership model and this is because what we've seen and this is certainly why yellowbird is being successful is that much of the EHS work being done in the country is done by contractors, whether that's a one-person shop that's doing their own thing, whether that's a six-person company, or you know, there's some larger ones that are 100 to 200 people, EHS professionals that are you know dialed in on either a specific industry or a specific sort of um, focus within EHS, we'll call it. Yeah. Um, and that is our second model, which is actually partnering with them to say, hey, 
not only could you use our solution to more effectively deliver your services, but they're also, uh, you know, effectively can function as a reseller of our platform. So if one of their, their end customers was, Hey, great, love the analytics, love the tool way better than the PowerPoints you've been sending me. We'd like to use that more officially within our organization. The consultant sure. can still run it. Um, but it'll be sort of a tool that the, is almost like a leaking behind to create stickiness for the, uh, the provider of the HS services. That uh, over the last year has been um, really a, a leader when it comes to our, our growth. Awesome. No, that's fantastic model. I, I wholeheartedly agree that a combination of direct and channel, a combination of empowering other partners to leverage your tools is the only way to go in this industry. It really is. It's the only way to go because um, unfortunately, there's a lot of times that the local HR representative or the superintendent or the shop leader are the ones doing the surveys. And you're like, oh my goodness gracious, uh, we've got to get knowledgeable workers doing this kind of work because it's crazy. I mean, it's absolutely insane. And they don't understand the liabilities that they're creating and the risk that they're, that they're taking on. But it's also very expensive to send consultants out. These large consultants, consulting firms usually charge two, three hundred dollars an hour, and they're charging you on the while they're on the airplane. So it's not a it's not a an inexpensive venture um, to go that route versus a Yellowbird or some other uh, way of finding a local talent uh, pool. So I'm excited about that. So we're gonna have to wrap. I want to thank you so much for for joining us. And um, is there anything that you would like to communicate as far as how people can reach you, how people can find Salute, and um, can you give people the information that they need to uh, get more information about your company? Yeah, the best place to find us is, you know, we're a technology company, so it's certainly on the web, uh, www.salutesafety.com. Um, you know, that's where uh, where all of our, our information is. Um, and, you know, certainly Matt or, or myself uh, can find us, uh, whether it's through the show notes or, or however, uh, and we're always happy to, to connect with, you know, not, not just, you know, in customers, but people in the, the safety space who are doing interesting things. Um, we're, we're certainly, our, our focus this year more than anything else is really on partnerships and fostering sort of a community of people, like-minded individuals who are, are interested or are already doing interesting things uh, in safety. Uh, and so would love, uh, would love to hear uh, from folks. This has been Canary in a Coal Mine, a Yellowbird podcast. Thank you to our Canary Club partners, AIHA, Veriforce, Safepedia, Safety Talk Ideas, Columbia Southern University, Soil Connect, Billy for Insurance, Salute Safety, and Insperity.